This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, BFM's video game show. We're at the end of February, which means that it's time for another monthly news roundup session with our friends at gaming website, kakuchopore.com. As always, KKP's content director, Jonathan Leo, joins me on the show and we're going to start the new segment with the highly anticipated Star Wars Jedi Survivor. So, Star Wars Jedi Survivor has been delayed to April 28th. The long-anticipated action-adventure sequel to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order will be pushed back from its original 17 March date to achieve the level of polish fans deserve, according to Respawn Entertainment, its developers. So the people behind the title are adding six extra weeks to the release schedule to fix bugs, make the game stable, and polish it. The game will be out for PC, Xbox Series, and PlayStation 5. So if you're into the action-adventure stylings with a bit of like Souls-like action but in the Star Wars universe, I believe this will be a title that people are looking forward to, especially with the many, many improvements from Jedi Fallen Order. That, you know, a lot of people have complained a lot about Jedi Fallen Order, so Jedi Survivor will hopefully fix all those problems. Yeah, as long as you don't have to backtrack that much, yeah, I'll be happy. But I think because of the nature of the game, the way it's designed to be Metroidvania-like, yeah, you still have oh. to backtrack, right? <laughs> oh, no, no. The thing is, if the backtracking is fun when your movement is fun, it doesn't matter. Like, a good example is Ori and the Blind Forest and Will of the Wisps. In Jedi Fallen Order, it wasn't fun. So if Jedi Survivor, I think they should have a mount, I remember, and a couple of other options for backtracking. If it's fun to control and makes you move faster, then no problem. Everyone's happy. Okay, moving on. Microsoft's Activision acquisition will be in danger after UK regulators, the Competition and Markets Authority, warns of harm to gamers. The harm in question is that this acquisition might mean higher prices, fewer choices, or less innovation for UK gamers. The CMA believed that cloud gaming and game exclusivity for Microsoft will be strengthened to monopoly levels if the deal goes through. Remedies offered by the CMA include Microsoft to sell off all Activision Blizzard's business associated with Call of Duty. I believe the final decision has been made at the end of April. Otherwise, they'll be forced to do take action line in that sense. Mm, yeah. Um, is this... The first in many stumbling blocks that you foresee when it, when it comes to this deal? Uh, for Xbox, this is actually a new development in a sense. So I'm not surprised that Xbox and Microsoft has, has been going through a lot of hurdles. The first being probably PlayStation and then uh, FTC and now this. So I guess the only big issue, I think the big crux is because people don't want Call of Duty to fall on the, under one first-party publisher's hands line in that sense. So... That's the whole issue right there. So even with Microsoft saying that, oh, we're going to play nice and have the game sold on all the platforms available, I think the CMA are concerned that this feels like, oh, it's like a gesture of goodwill, not something that's written or in concrete. So I think the remedies that's offered is just one way to make sure that Microsoft plays nice la, with with the acquisition. I mean, once the Call of Duty thing is like sorted, then they can go through the buying of the studio. 
Mm, yeah, what I find quite interesting as well is I think maybe um, the timing is pretty coincidental or maybe it's not. But um, Microsoft also suddenly announced um, a partnership with NVIDIA where um, they will essentially make Xbox PC games available on uh, NVIDIA's uh, cloud streaming platform uh, GeForce Now, right? Which is I find quite interesting as well. <laughs> so It yeah. is quite a peculiar timing considering that, yeah, Microsoft is on its way to... I don't know, I mean, monopoly is a strong word to use, but it might... I think they get... The CMA have good reason to feel worried, especially for everyone's behalf, lah, in that sense. All right, uh, moving on, we've got Hogwarts Legacy, which actually had Wingardio Leviosa, I hope he's the word right, US 850 million in terms of sales, and the game itself sold more than 12 million units in its first two weeks. The game, which is out now and will be talked about on the show later, is dubbed the biggest global launch for a Warner Brothers brand for the year, with the title getting a Twitch record for single-player games with 1.28 million peak concurrent viewers at launch, which is quite a big deal for a new game that's only single-player and completely no multiplayer at all. This is in spite of the controversy surrounding the Harry Potter and Wizarding World creator J.K. Rowling, who continues to publicly express views offensive to transgender people. And moving on, we've got the Capcom Pro Tour 2023, which is announced by Capcom, which starts on summer 2023. The tournament will feature Street Fighter VI as the main game, meaning that the last Capcom Cup tournament that happened, which was Capcom Cup 9, uh, few, uh, actually it was last week, marks the last time Street Fighter V will be the CPT game. The first place winner, that's here's the best part, the first place winner for Capcom Pro Tour 2023 will win US $1 million, which is a very, very high price pool, basically. Like, for just one person winning this game. The entire price pool is, like, more than US $2 million. So, I believe half of that, that significant amount, will go to whoever wins this tournament next year because Capcom Pro Tour will last for the entire year. One year, one season, one year, basically. Mm. Yeah, I'm quite quite surprised to see the, the 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 price. I mean, yeah, one million is a lot for a single player winner, right? Yeah, yeah, and for a fighting game because a lot of fighting games they have pretty low price pools compared to this one. So I'm guessing all that Resident Evil remake and Monster Hunter money, you know, I think there's a place where it can go lah. You know, if there's some extra loose change, but this is still considered like I don't want to sound like I'm demeaning Capcom in a sense, but this is compared to like maybe your Dota 2s or your League of Legends who have been around for quite long. This feels a bit, I won't say chump change, it's still a lot of money, but compared to those other tournaments, it is quite a different large difference in scale, basically. But but will it alleviate the status of the tournament or, or tournaments of this nature? Because like you said, I mean, uh, I think I think the reason why we we thought of you know Dota Dota two as as quite prestigious, quote unquote, is because of their price pool, right? So, I mean, if they are going on this trajectory of putting out prices that are quite high, yeah, will that mean that you know eventually people will also look forward to seeing these tournaments a lot more? Uh, they will, but I suspect that this tournament. And another one, which, I, which I'll bring up in a bit, will be the only ones that can afford this much higher price pool. The other tournament I'm probably referring to is, of course, the upcoming Riot Games fighting game, Project L, the 2v2 fighting game. Because, you know, Riot Games is a lot of money. They can, but they'll probably have that for next year and the price pool will probably be the same or even double that of the Capcom Pro Tour. I don't see any other company who make fighting games doing this. Um, not even Tekken, not even Bandai Namco, even though it's a prestigious company. 
and you can say goodbye la, to SNK despite the Saudi Arabia money they have. So it's insane. I mean, one million for one person, that's you're gonna see a lot more people joining the Capcom Cup Pro Tour. La, let's just say that. Mm, all right. Moving on. We are talking about yes, the Tetris movie. Apparently Tetris is getting a film and is debuting on Apple TV Plus. So the first trailer dropped hard like the blocks from the game. It's about the true story of the legal battle involving the rights of the mega popular game license and how they actually sneak out the game to like different to outside of Russia in a sense. So it's like a real life story on the battle of IPs and whatnot. So Taron Egerton plays bulletproof software founder Hank Rogers. Toby Jones is Robert Stein. Nikita Yefremov plays Tetris creator Alexei Pajitnov. Togo Igawa plays the then Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi. And Ben Miles plays then Nintendo of America president Howard Lincoln. The film's director is John S. Baird, who is known for the Laurel and Hardy biopic Stan and Ollie and the three-part docudrama Stonehouse. The film will be out on Apple TV Plus on 31st March, but will debut early at SXSW Film Festival on 15 March. Yeah, I've watched the trailer and I think I was pleasantly surprised by it and I'm pretty intrigued. Initially, I was like, oh, they're making a Tetris movie without actually knowing the context behind it. And now that I've seen the trailer, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, actually the, the story behind the game's development is actually pretty intriguing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, not just the development, just the marketing. And this was a time when Tetris appeared on so many platforms and under so many different publishing houses. Like, it's hard to keep track which version of Tetris is the legit one. Because they're all this because back in the day there was no internet, right? So who 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 knows, right, at the time. But it's an interesting look at I, I believe all these docudramas and document documentaries on video game history and the makings of it are actually more interesting in a sense. I think my favorite one so far is called Console Wars, where they talk about Nintendo and Sega, and then a third player came in at the last act of the documentary movie. It's a really nice watch, actually. So those kind of films. Even The King of Kong, that was also a really interesting watch back in the day. Moving on, I understand that we also have news involving the Young Southeast Asian Leaders Initiative. Yep, that is correct. Uh, there's a YSEA Ally Game Changers 2023 program that's offering seed funding and mentorship for budding game makers. All from industry experts. Notable folks who will be in the webinars for this future mentorship Programs include Sakina Latte for Persona Theory, Brian Quack of Eastbird, and Sophie Aslan, a notable game developer in Malaysia who was part of the Game Awards 2022 Future Class, which highlights up-and-coming innovators. She also happens to be contributed to our website, kakuchopure.com, so it'll be a plug there. Lah. So I believe this kind of initiative is actually really good for young, budding game developers to join in. So I think on the description, you can see the link on how to sign up and whatnot. Lah. Mm, yeah. Fantastic. And we can also find more information on, on Kakuchopure's website, I suppose. That too. Yes, that's correct. And let's talk about... Uh, here's a short one, a sad piece of news. Apex Legends Mobile is going offline. The mobile port of the EA and Respawn popular Battle Royal shooter is going to be shut down just a few months after the game's launch. It's like been out for eight months and it's going to get shut down on May the 1st, 2023. EA plans to also have Battlefield Mobile pop-up is also being shut down too. So that game is also being shut down. So we're talking about two big ti- two big title spin-offs from the PC ports of the game, mobile ports of the game actually getting shut down. So, But at the very least, Apex Legends is still playable on PC and consoles. So it's 
not really the worst piece of news, but still sad for those who actually want to see the mobile version of the game thrive in, especially in Southeast Asia countries. Yeah, and I think to a certain extent, I mean the 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 PC version of it will will stay on, right? I mean it's pretty popular, to be fair. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And another short piece of news: Dark and Darker, the really popular alpha playtest, roguelike PvP VE, uh, first person action shooter like imagine Ultima Underworld but you know in a roguelike setting and it's a battle royale kind of form like Tarkov is actually getting a bit of controversy right now so a news report from Korean site This Is Game mentioned that the developer IMAs might have stolen code and assets from a cancelled game at Nexon so this is still ongoing and details are very murky but the developers of Dark and Darker are basically denying this, saying that if a game wasn't technically made, you can't really say you're stealing assets from something that never existed in the first place, basically. So the legal battle is still going on as we speak. Or to be honest, I don't think anyone pressed charges just yet, but there's only just accusations so far. Wow, a bit of drama on that. Quite interesting. Yep, yep. And the game, I think this only happened because the Dark and Darker in its alpha playtest right now has broken like a bunch of records, lah. Like 100,000 concurrent players on Steam and people are posting videos to their playthroughs and, you know, cursing because the game is really, really hard. I see. Okay, well, I mean, this is going to be interesting to follow. Yep, yep. Uh, a couple more before we head to the games. Riot confirms three League of Legends spin-offs for 2023. So while the other two haven't been, haven't been announced yet, one of them is a 2D action RPG called The Mage Seeker, a League of Legends story. The game stars Silas, one of the champions of League of Legends as you lead the rogue mage to create a rebel army to lead a revolution to the city that basically imprisoned him and all the other captains here and there. So Mage Seeker will be out this spring on PC and consoles. So I think it's pretty good news considering that all the Riot Games spin-offs like Ruin King, A League of Legends Story is a pretty good RPG in its own right. We just happens to have League of Legends characters. So what do you think about the development that Riot is making more games based off the League of Legends storyline. I think it's about time that they they sort of like I guess um, explore a lot more from from the franchise considering and I think to a certain extent with success um, Arcane has I mm. think yeah maybe it's about time that they I don't want to use the term milk the cow a lot more but I feel like yeah maybe that that's the the, the way that they should be I guess going about it I, you know in in a way if you think about it. Oh right? yeah yeah I mean all I'm waiting for is probably a visual novel set in the Arcane universe. Like a romance kind of game, you know, like those really popular Bishojo titles. I think people actually like that if that actually comes out. Yeah, definitely. I think I think based on the success of Arcane, I think there is definitely a demand for more of League of Legends stuff, I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Considering the series has been around since 2010, 11. So, last piece of news. The Ukraine government has said publicly that it wants to ban Atomic Heart from digital stores in Ukraine. Alex Borniakov, Ukraine's Deputy Minister of Digital Transformation, plans to send an official letter to Sony, Microsoft, and Valve to request a ban. To quote, I'm just going to quote a little bit. Regarding the situation of the release of the game, Atomic Heart, which has Russian roots and romanticizes communist ideology and the Soviet Union, the Ministry of Digital Transformation of Ukraine will send an official letter to the companies I mentioned to ban on selling digital versions of the game in Ukraine and also urge limiting the distribution of the game because of the toxicity potential data collection of users to Russia, by the way. And the thing about this is Munfish has 
be criticized for disguising its Russian origins and has also been accused of harvesting data for Russian authorities. As well as the fact that the company's investors include GM Capital, uh, which has ties to the Russian-owned companies Gazprom and VTB Bank. There's actually a lot more if you dig deep, but to summarize it all, there's going to be a lot of controversy on Munfish and Atomic Heart post-release of the game, which we'll probably talk about in a few short minutes, seconds. That was KKP's content director, Jonathan Leo, summarizing the biggest gaming news from February. We're going to make with some messages. After this, some of February's biggest releases, including Howard's Legacy, Wild Hearts, and Like a Dragon, Ishin. Stay tuned, this is GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Gigi Wallpaid. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. Joining me on the show today is Jonathan Liu, Content Director at Kakuchopori.com and we've been looking at the biggest news in the month of February. Let's move on to this month's releases and first up, PlayStation VR 2 and Horizon Call of the Mountain. Oh yeah, to sum it up, PSVR 2 is clearly a sequel device to the PSVR. After you, I mean, yes, you have the headset, but you got a, two, a pair of really nice VR controllers that track really well. I mean, to sum it up, the technology is great. It's high end. It's very immersive when you get the setup and everything. It's painless to set it up. You just connect it to the PS5, follow the on-screen instructions. Just make sure you have enough space. And yeah, you're good to go. The controls all work. You just got to charge it up and you're good to go. However, I mean, even the eye tracking works really well for most some of the games that actually support it. And the best part, you can play it in a slightly cramped room. I purposely just played it in a small my small workspace. As long as I'm playing a game that requires you to sit down and there's enough room to move your arms, it's all good from there. Now, the only two big issues is, yes, it can be expensive because it's about the same price as the PlayStation 5, but it's actually cheaper than the Valve Index when you think about it. Between two, I actually would rather get this, especially if you already have a PS5 to begin with. And now the only problem is there's only one game that seems to carry and elevate the PSVR 2 further to justify the need to have it and can be considered a killer app. Lah. And we'll get to that game right now. It is called Horizon Call the Mountain, which I'm going to call Horizon VR because it's easier to say. So it's a killer app for the PSVR 2 and, um, and rightfully so. You play a Shadow Karja prisoner who has to earn his freedom by helping out Blameless Murad from the Horizon titles in a quest to look for a missing person. This being a Horizon series spin-off, you're going to see a lot of machines, see a lot of cliffs you got to climb and scale and a lot of beautiful vistas to look into and everything. So yeah. For the VR segment, basically everything is all done first person. When you attack and fight the machines, you have to draw your bow, aim your arrow, pull and fire and everything, and even use a slingshot at times. And just like Aloy and the Horizon games, you climb a lot. You go through a pathway and climb your way through the stages and obstacles. You got to do the whole climbing motion thing while you're sitting down or standing up. You also have tools like the mountain picks, the rope darts and grappling hooks. And there are even moments where you have to jump off a cliff and, you know, climb onto, grab onto a ledge on time or even pull out the ice pick in time to, to you know, hit it onto the unclimbable surface. So combat is locked into an arena. You can dodge and move around the arena and you draw your bow. Like I said, you draw your bow and fire and everything. But 
It's done in a way that is really arcadey but also fun and surprisingly resource intensive because you need to actually build and craft the arrows on the spot. You have to do a bunch of motions to form the arrow and make sure you aim right because um, I, I've gone through some moments where I ran out of arrows because of my terrible shots. So a lot of practice and perseverance will, will help out here in that sense. All I'm saying is Horizon Call of the Mountain is really good and actually does the PSVR 2 justice. It's not really the most innovative game, but it actually helps make use of all the PSVR 2's features and whatnot. And now going back to the PSVR 2 a little bit, and that's the other problem. Among all the launch title games, only Horizon VR is like the one that it makes you like want to actually buy this because the rest of the games are titles we have played before from Moss Book 2 or Res Infinite or even the Resident Evil Village free update. But to be fair, if this is your first time playing VR, it's a great device for you, especially if you have PS5. But for those who have actually spent lots of money on the index, like I mentioned, this might be like a reservation kind of list. Lah. It's still great tech, don't get me wrong. It's just, it needs a bigger library to back it up. So I hope PlayStation actually creates more first-party titles like Horizon VR to elevate it further and not make it be like a paperweight. Yeah, so so if, if a gamer wants to try out... Um VR, um, I think the pairing of PSVR 2 and Horizon Call of the Mountain would be the perfect pair, I suppose. Oh yeah, there's actually a bundle for that too, which again, costs as much as a PS5. So if you are into that, yeah, go for it. It's, yeah, again, it's really worth it. But at the same time, it's quite a huge asla for the price. Even if you compare it with the more expensive index. Mm, all right, moving on. Um, we're going to be talking about Atomic Heart. Um, yeah, what, so what's the game like? I heard that it's supposed to be Bioshock like. Uh, basically, it is. You are you hit the nail on the head right there. It's a first-person shooter in the veins of Bioshock, but you exchange the whole uh, the Atlas Shrugs um, philosophy with communism and its beliefs being back and forth conversations. And the powers itself, I mean, the setting is of course different. It's sci-fi, utopia gone wrong, filled with many household robots who went crazy. And the power-ups are about the same in a sense. You've got shock and you've got like ice powers and you also got like levitating powers as well. And you rely more on your starting weapon and melee as, re- as your resources are finite. You got to scavenge around the cities and the rooms and the laboratories to check out equipment and also craft objects for yourself to use for to get through all the enemies and whatnot. It's actually kind of fun in a sense, but... Unless you are really fatigued by open-ended action-adventure titles, and the main character may not be the most likable character I've seen in a while, but at the same time, it's I cannot deny the fact that I actually did have a bit of fun basically exploring, scavenging, shocking robots, and just finding out how the story goes on from there, in a sense. So, again, the visual, the art style is great. I really like the designs here and there, especially the robots and some of the more esoteric, slender designs, but I guess I'm a bit iffy about it in a sense where it can get a little repetitive and there's not much of a narrative to follow if your main character is unlikable, right? Does it rival Bioshock since it's been compared to Bioshock? <laughs> Probably not. Bioshock actually still rings true to the fact that I believe it's better to keep your protagonist a little silent at times instead of being very talkative. But I can understand why a lot of characters speak so much in like a very short time span because they have to match the Russian... The English dubbing has to match the... Russian, um, the mouth movements and whatnot. So I believe there are a lot of words that are crammed in really quick. So you can see, like, it, it, I think it's better to play the game in this Russian dialect. 
just a heads up lah for anyone who wants to jump into Atomic Heart, which is also free on Game Pass, by the way. All right, that's good. Moving on, let's talk about Hogwarts Legacy. Oh yeah, this is a fun action-adventure RPG-style open-world title set in the late 1800s, way before all the Fantastic Beasts and Harry Potter story stuff. You play a wizard slash witch in training as you learn magic at Hogwarts while solving an underlying mystery involving a goblin uprising. The game is very immersive, the world-building is great and all, and you actually feel like you're in Hogwarts. You're, you know, wrapped up in the magic and whimsical nature of the world and the school and everything to the fact that you can even do assignments to get extra credit in this case extra skills to use in combat and combat is flexible and fun too you can do a lot of like devil may cry stuff in a sense but you know with magic the main quests offer pretty clever level design and puzzles however after like the 20 hour mark which is this is a 30 hour game by the way or 40 hours depending on how you see it the game gets a bit checklisty for my taste after Maybe for me it's about 12 hours before other people the tolerance might be higher. So it might feel a bit samey with the missions and whatnot when you get deeper into the game. Unless you're beelining the main story and just doing the assignments, the game can be quite a chore. But it's generally fun and it's like, it's been a while since anyone has played a proper Wizarding World game since, I don't know, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows and that was the Xbox 360 era, I believe. Yeah, and but but this is open world and much more immersive, right? In terms of creating that world, a lot of people have been hyping the game up. Yeah, yeah. Think of it as bully, like from Rockstar, except less crude, more magical, and more. I believe all ages in a sense, even though half the spells you have can actually kill people. <laughs> okay, all right. Moving on. Uh, let's talk about like a dragon Ishin. Ah yes, Like a Dragon Ishin is an action-adventure RPG set in the samurai era of the 1860s with Yakuza, Like a Dragon characters, likenesses, and VOs playing real-life characters in that time of history. It's a remake of a 2011 Yakuza game with swords and guns, samurai action, fighting, side stories, and farming. It's fun, though if you're, if you're really tired of the series since Yakuza Like a Dragon and Yakuza 0, you might want to wait a while until it's half off. It can be a bit fatigued to play these games back to back because of how big they are. And Like a Dragon Ishin is no different. And for the record, it's really hard for me to call it Like a Dragon when it was called Yakuza back in the day. So excuse me if I'm going back and forth with the title of the games. Yeah, uh, but but still a solid, uh, a solid game in the lineup. It is still a solid game, yes. I... I actually do want to play it because my, I actually get it, getting these notes from my reviewer who actually played like what 40 hours of the game I do want to jump into it because of the whole I want to see how they treat the Shinshingumi in this title like the basically the police force in Japan the samurai force and speaking of Japanese games we got Wild Hearts an Omega Force created game that's published by EA it's basically a Monster Hunter clone it's an action RPG Monster Hunter clone that is arguably better because of the way it's tweaked and created and tailored for newcomers. The controls are better. You've got the Karakuri mechanics, which actually lets you create tools and whatnot to traverse. So imagine all the building block stuff from Fortnite, but in a Monster Hunter universe. The only issue I could find, according to my review who checked out, is basically just technical issues for the PC version. But other than that, yeah, it's a really good hybrid of building, 
and you know murdering monsters with a four-player party. I obviously, as a monster hunter clone, you need to have a big party to play this game. So four players is ideal. You can still play it single player, lah. But I really suggest you just find a party and coordinate and have fun fighting the giant monsters you have. Mm. So just to double check, the PC version is a bit problematic, but the console versions uh, are fun. I think they're just lower resolution, but it should be fine. Although they do have some issues. So as long as EA and Omega Force, the Techno Techno Kuri guys, can get their act together and fix it within a month, I believe Monsanto might have some stiff competition. I really hope that you know this market gets slightly bigger because I still remember the time in the PlayStation, um, PlayStation Two, Three, and. Uh, PlayStation Portable days when they had Monsanto clones coming out left and right, like Tokiden and God Eater. So Wild Hearts would be like a nice little coming back party for, of sorts. So I hope it works out really well because I actually don't want to jump into this game. I just need to find a party who can carry me because I'm pretty bad. I'm really terrible at Monsanto games, honestly. Will it be able to challenge Monster Hunter though considering how big the franchise is? <laughs> well, EA is big and has a lot of money so it's possible they just need to make sure that the launch for this game is proper and big. Like, they just got to keep pumping out the content, getting its game heard and everything so that we can see a part two. Or maybe just a bigger expansion to, to placate the current player base. It has potential. It has potential because I like having the Fortnite mechanic in this is something new. Mm, okay, fantastic. Uh, moving on, we have Grim Guardians, Demon Purge. <laughs> Ah, Grim Guardians Demon Purge is a 2D action platformer with some Metroidvania search action elements where you play Shinobu and Maya, two demon hunter sisters with different skill sets. You're tasked with hunting down a demon who warped the school you're in into a demon dimension and have to find a way out. So if in case you're not really sure what it's about, it's actually a spin-off of the Galgan series made by Inti Creates. I wish I could talk about Galgan, but I don't think it's appropriate for radio. But you don't need to know about that series. You just need to know that this Grim Guardians title is fun and a challenging 2D action game in the veins of the Castlevania titles. Only you, only instead of like one character, you can switch between two different characters with two different playstyles with their own unique items. The 2D art sprite work is really beautiful to look at. Uh, I mean, it's not surprising considering it's in the creates. The music is fun. Even the little storyline here and there is actually kind of cute. But again, I can't really actually share much because Galgan is not really an all-ages game, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, it does look a bit like Symphony of the Night, you know? Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which is... Oh yeah, it's emulating that. But the level structure is more like the old Castlevania. It's like part one. Actually, it's more similar to Castlevania 3 because of the multiple routes you can take. Because uh, once you play through the game once, you kill the boss, you have to play a... You have to play it again. I mean, it's a continuation. You have to find five items from the different stages you were at. And when you revisit a stage, it opens up another section, which is harder because, because you have all your abilities at that point in time. So it's meant to be a challenge for players. So it's really cool for those who actually like Castlevania 3 and those classic titles because Grim Guardians is basically a new age version of that, but with Galgan characters. Okay, fantastic. And last but not least, we also have Octopath Traveler 2. Oh, actually two titles. I'm going to keep it short, no worries. So Octopath Traveler 2 is a sequel to Octopath Traveler. It's a JRPG featuring eight playable characters with separate storylines that it can complete in any order. So it's a very confident sequel, I must say, with 
knowing what worked in the original game and polishing those aspects. The the cast is great, the characters are great, the combat exploration is also really great, handled really well, and it's bigger and better, basically. My only issue is basically it gets tedious to level everyone up since there's no passive experience to share mechanics. You know, like, basically, if you level up one character, you have to spend more extra time leveling up the other characters who are in the reserve list. And the dungeon design isn't exactly the most stellar. It's very linear. But still, I highly recommend it if you need a 50 to 100 hour GRPG fix. And the last game on the list is Tiet Rhythm Final Bar Line, which is a Square Enix rhythm game featuring Final Fantasy and Square Enix GRPGs. So every music you know from Final Fantasy and some other Square Enix GRPGs will be in this game. So it's a rhythm game masquerading as a GRPG with Funko Pop lookalike FF characters on the battlefield, exploring and fighting key bosses in the series. It's easy to get into, the music is great of course, and they have tons and tons of stages to play with because of the very, very huge music library. And it's out on Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4. Yeah, sounds like a game that fans of Square Enix's JRPG would love. Oh yeah, I think it's like maybe close to a thousand. I could be exaggerating, but it's a big library from Final Fantasy 1 all the way to Final Fantasy 14, A Realm Reborn. And you know FF14 ARR has a lot of expansions, right? So that means a lot of music from that game. And then I think there's also upcoming DLC from um, Xenogears and Chrono Trigger, I believe, Chrono Cross, and a couple of other high-profile PS1 Square Enix GRPGs. Back in a time when it was called Squaresoft. Yeah, I'm feeling nostalgic now. Yeah. I think you'll love this game. Even if you're not really into rhythm games, if you love the music from the titles, the mechanics are easy because there are like so many different difficulty levels. I mean, if you're hardcore, you go for the highest one. Like if you're a beat, if you're a beat, beat money, you know, beat mania expert, you can play the hardest level. All right, John, uh, what can we look forward to next month, March? I believe we can look forward to Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon, WWE 2K23, Atelier Riser 3, Alchemist of the End and the Secret Key, and of course, Resident Evil 4. That would be the biggest title. Uh, take note, I'm talking about the Resident Evil 4 remake. Yeah, the really new one with the new graphics and possibly some canon changes here and there. Alright, will you be reviewing that game? Uh, probably not me. I'm going to give that to my other writer. I'm actually more interested in Bayonetta Origins because it's going to be a puzzle adventure game. It's not going to be an action game. It's going to be slow-paced because I think you actually lead the creature. You you have a pet and you actually have to command the pet to attack things. But it's mostly a adventure title. Uh, adventure. You're tuned in to GG Well Played, and that was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopore.com, summarizing some of the biggest news and releases in February. Head on over to our website, kakuchopore.com, to check out more gaming news and reviews. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play, and you can also find this podcast and many more on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharuddin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.